Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about mobile SEO, how you need to optimize your content, how to get results, how to get high ranking positions, and a lot more. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Sydney Krum. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And Cindy, before we start, just tell more about yourself, about experience, background, remind why you pay so much attention to mobile. So I'm the CEO of a company called Mobile Moxie based in Denver, Colorado, and we've focused on mobile SEO and emerging technology since um, 2008. Um, and so this makes it really fun for me because I get to really pay attention to the changes as they're happening when Google um, is launching things. Um, and so that includes mobile web app. And then now as we're getting into kind of the next level of mobile, it's becoming much more multimedia with uh, Google Mom. Uh, and um, it stands for a multitask unified model. Um, and it's kind of Google's next, I think, next big thing or next big um, thing, including or with AI probably added in there too somehow. Nice, nice. Yeah, love it, love it. I remember when Google tried to convince uh, webmasters that you need to optimize websites with mobile and many replied no way i don't need it because my audience is in this desktop but today it's a must have uh, and uh, i usually tell my designers you need to create design for mobile version than for desktop because they create for a desktop forget about mobile and then when they squeeze you know it doesn't look good so yeah it's better yeah. to think about both uh, you don't need to ignore uh, any version okay cindy can you tell why you, uh, your company pays attention to mobile uh, we have desktop traffic we have many other type. why you decided to pay attention to mobile well when i first decided to pay attention to mobile no one else was really paying attention to it um, that was, uh, before I even started my company, that was in 2005 and I was doing searches on my phone and noticing that the search results were bad. The websites didn't work and I couldn't understand, you know, why they were so different from desktop. So I started reading mobile development blogs to see, uh, what the mobile developers were doing that was making things so bad. And then I started writing about it saying, hey, you know, the same stuff that we do on desktop applies to mobile and this is what you should be doing um, because no one else was talking about it and it seemed important. So it's gone a long way from there. You know, we have apps that launched in app stores. So there's app search and uh, image search and all this new stuff that's exciting, but it's it's been uh, a very fun ride, but it just seemed necessary. Like no one was focusing on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Can you tell about user experience? How to learn UX in mobile version? Uh, because I see when companies check out desktop version, analyze it, but uh, in mobile version, UX can be low, not good. So any tips how to do it right? 
Yeah, mobile usability is one of the hardest things to master. And, and what you mentioned really does help a lot, which is designing for mobile first and then expanding it to desktop rather than designing for desktop and trying to cram it into mobile. Um, so thinking about what is uh, absolutely necessary uh, for the person to complete their task um, and doing that on mobile and then adding things as you get to bigger screens where you can have the less necessary things, but making sure that everything works and is fast and is really intuitive um, and easy to figure out uh, on the mobile phone. And, and, and that can be tough because there are so many different sizes of mobile phones, you've got different orientations, uh, but the mobile browsers have gotten much better at rendering content um, in a good way. So, so the main thing that people forget to do is test all of their navigation um, and make sure that it all works, that it can open and close, that people can convert all the way quickly, that they can convert you know, from an email and it goes directly where it's going. All of those things can get messed up. And so just testing those things um, can really help. Mm -hmm. I'm interested about uh, some elements that the masters can uh, hide on mobile mm -hmm. version because Google doesn't recommend to do it but sometimes it's hard to use the same content because if we have long content many models probably mobile users don't need it uh, but sometimes we don't know when you don't optimize for mobile version you can uh, the system crm system can do it <laughs> instead of you can you tell how to analyze what is important to use and what you can ignore in mobile version well, so ignoring things isn't isn't always, you know, the way I would say it. We don't want to ignore anything, but we can prioritize things. And so that means making the page easy to navigate and hiding some of the content that you think people are less likely to consume. So Amazon uh, does a great job of this where there are expanders and plus boxes so you can know, you know, what's available if you really want to get into the product details um, or uh, specifications, but they hide it by default. So that way uh, the user experience is good for people who want that information and for people who don't. It's easy to find and expand, um, but it's easy to skip over if it's unnecessary for the user. And so the trick there, of course, is just to make sure that that's still crawlable um, by Google, by uh, checking to make sure that the content is in the JavaScript, that your server-side rendering the page, and that the text is, is crawlable even uh, before it's expanded. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about uh, monetization? You know, for example, I remember when uh, the first versions of mobile uh, became, uh, some studies shared that people prefer to find on mobile, but, but, uh, but then they buy in desktop. What about today? Because for me, it's simpler to buy in mobile version. I can use Apple Pay, uh, so just a few clicks I can get what I want to get, I know it's safety. What do you think about today? It's important to think about monetization on mobile version. Yes, absolutely. And um, you're right that the trends are changing. Uh, people are more comfortable making purchases on their phones and especially if they've got 
uh, Apple Pay or uh, Google Pay or any kind of credit card saved to an account where they can do basically a one-click purchase and not have to uh, fill out the forms. That's a huge uh, benefit and can make it so much easier for people to convert kind of without thinking. You know, it's almost so easy to buy things on a phone now that that you can do it quickly enough that you kind of forget like oh did i actually buy that or did i not you know when i was looking on at it on my phone this morning so you have to um embrace that and you get a lot more conversions but if you make people if you don't allow the forms to be filled out or incorporate apple pay or google pay or any of the visa um credit card population things, uh, then you're slowing people down and you're giving them more time to second guess or, you know, make a different decision or decide to research longer. So um, making it as easy as you can um, by incorporating all of those existing payment APIs and, and form uh, capture and letting people sign in so that you can remember their information and letting people sign in and, and complete a transaction as a guest if they forgot their password and they don't want to reset it. You know, that can be the hardest part of a transaction is if you know you have an account and you have your credit card saved, but then you forgot your password. So um, letting people have kind of a lot of opportunities to do it easily. And the other thing that I'm saying is there are still going to be people who aren't comfortable converting on their phone for whatever reason. Maybe they're, you know, in public transportation and they're not sure they have a good connection or they're on public Wi-Fi and they don't feel comfortable doing that. So I talk about giving people bailout options um, when they're in the conversion funnel, when they're maybe they've started or they've added things to their cart, where you can email yourself your cart to convert later, or you can send yourself a text message um, uh, with your cart to convert later, or um, you can set a reminder or uh, save things uh, as contacts or calendar invites anyway you can to make whatever conversion you have easier. Um, so even if it's not a purchase, maybe you're booking a tour um, a, or a car hire or something like that, um, allowing people to um, do it from their phone and then add it to their calendar. So they remember, oh, the reservation starts today and I have to pick it up by two or whatever that is, you know, going the extra mile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. No, once um, I found a study uh, about Amazon because this company invests a lot to site speed. And uh, when I open Amazon, it's long content, but it loads like for a few moments. I don't know, less than a second. Uh, I can get everything that I need. It's the same with mobile, but uh, vice versa. Uh, many other websites, they are loading uh, slowly more than three seconds and it can hurt conversion rate can you tell how it's important to increase size speed like amazon uh, usually uh, does uh, and uh, uh, how it impacts to ranking positions if uh, mobile version uh, is loading fast yeah so load time can be a really important aspect of um a good uh, optimization both for search engine rankings and for um, driving conversions. Um, the easiest things to do um, to optimize your site are usually to do with 
um, images, lazy loading images, sizing images uh, properly, and allowing uh, images, JavaScript, uh, and CSS to cache for a long time so that once it's fetched once, it doesn't have to be fetched again. Um, and what that does from an SEO perspective is it makes the site easier and simpler to crawl and index. If Google doesn't have to wait or struggle, then it'll get more pages, more content. Um, at least that's the theory. Um, what Google says about load time is that it's a tiebreaker. So if you and one website have exactly the same ranking statistics, um, then they'll look to the things like load time to see uh, which one should win uh, and which one should rank higher. The other thing that's important is I have started noticing more and more clever developers trying to trick Google um, and get a faster load time that's just for Google, but that's not for users. And there are I'm not going to say that that never works because sometimes it, it can and it does. Um, and sometimes it's okay. Google says, you know, in some cases, as long as you're serving basically the same content, you can serve um, one thing to Google and um, have it be slightly faster and a slightly different thing to users. But they don't say faster. They can just say you can serve this to Google if it's for the benefit of your users, whatever that means. But um, it's pretty nebulous. But know that Google is using both real load times and the simulated load times. And the clever tricks that, that developers usually do can fix the simulated load times, uh, but it's harder for them to fix real user or impact real user load times. And so Google has this huge database of what they call uh, RUM, real user metrics. And uh, they have it because they own uh, Chrome browser. And so since they have all of the, the load time from their own browser, they can see how fast did this load on desktop, how fast did it load on tablet, how fast did it load on mobile for real experiences. And so if your real experience is vastly different from the synthesized synthetic experience that they're estimating um, for load time, then they're probably going to notice that and not going to not going to always give you the benefit of the doubt. They're going to say, oh, this is actually really slow. Um, and so users might be less happy with it. Now, one more point too on Amazon, you know, we use Amazon as kind of a the standard, right? Because it's so fast and so easy and um, it's a great user experience usually. Um, and I do think that it's this is a fair you know way to go about looking at things using Amazon as the model. But um, for us, it's something to strive for. But um, remember that Amazon owns AWS, so um, they have and, and they have you know way more employees and uh, uh, technical people than most of us do. So they're going to be able to do. Um, the very best job possible. And same with Google, they're going to be able to do the very best thing possible. So know that um, they're good to model after. You should be looking to see what they're doing, using anything that you can that, um, that Google or Amazon makes available to speed things up. But um, 
taking it all with a grain of salt, they probably still will have the unfair advantage or be a little bit faster than us. But this is one of the things I, I talk about and I have for years, actually. I still like looking at AMP code, even though Google doesn't give you as much of a reward um, for being um, AMP valid. Even if you're not AMP valid, you can use AMP code to replace slow, heavy code with faster code. Um, and uh, even without getting to the stage of va AMP valid, you can have a much faster site by sprinkling in AMP code instead of old, slow, heavy code uh, wherever you want. And it's free. And the best you know, Google developers in the world worked on it. So learn from that and use it. You know, you remind me of some speakers uh, who helped me to create lessons for my uh, SEO course because it's interesting that uh, most uh, content that I get about technical optimizations were from women in SEO, from Olga Zar, Kat uh, Omgi, and, and others. So, yeah, I got it. You know more than many men. <laughs> okay, uh, Cindy, I have the question about uh, creating uh, content strategy. It's interesting that I never... Uh, you know, um, I see when webmasters usually create one strategy for a website, but some traffic can be mobile, some traffic can be desktop or both. So can you tell, is it good idea to separate content strategy uh, for mobile version, desktop, or consider uh, at least in content strategy that traffic can be uh, comes from mobile version? Yeah, I think that you don't have to have a separate strategy mm -hmm. for mobile necessarily. There might be some cases where you need a separate strategy, uh, but in most cases, you don't need a separate strategy. You just need to take your, your content strategy and think of it from both perspectives. Does it address a use case uh, for a mobile user? Does it also um, equally address the desktop user? The only time when you might need separate strategy is if you have something that is very heavily focused on desktop use um, and then you might need to think about separate you know is there value from a mobile perspective so the things that i'm thinking of are maybe um maybe you're a software company that sells software that only works when it's downloaded to a desktop then what is your mobile strategy well your mobile strategy is to get people to bookmark the page and download it to their desktop later. So you need to have those bailout options where you email yourself a link or you Slack yourself a link um, or something like that so that it's easy to find and complete later. Um, or you know maybe you need to have download pages that um, get you to sign up for emails so that you get the reminders in your email. Um, and thinking about like maybe blog posts that people consume on their phone, but then send themselves uh, a reminder from the blog post to download it when they get to their desktop, something like that. Um, but most of the time, you don't need two separate content strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cindy, I open your LinkedIn profile uh, because I like opening LinkedIn profiles. And, you know, I uh, see on your background picture, MossCon. And the question, how are mobile rankings different? Can you reply to this question? You replied on Moscon, please, for our audience as well. How is difference? <laughs> the, the main difference 
is about the layout. So you have mm -hmm. so much less space on a mobile phone. So think about on desktop, we used to have ads on the top and on the side. Now it's mostly a couple ads on the top and sometimes knowledge graph or map packs on the side. Um, or sometimes there's a shopping result on the side. Just remember when you're on a mobile phone, there's no side. And so everything has to be stacked. And so Google will usually put the things that they've created, that they host, that they monetize towards the top. And so anything that would occur on the side is now on the top. So that's maps, knowledge graph, shopping grids. Um, sometimes they have these new things that are like answers and additional filters with drop downs. Um, all of that is if uh, it'll be stacked if it's still there. What you have to also know is that different things um, can show up in the mobile search result that don't show up in desktop or vice versa. I've seen it where um, a knowledge graph shows up on mobile but doesn't show up on desktop or um, maps are more likely to show on mobile than desktop by just a little bit. Um, there are often more filters and refinements on mobile than there are on desktop because Google knows it's a little bit harder for you to type on your phone, so they'd rather you just be able to click one thing to make it easier for you. Um, so these things that show up on mobile that might not always show up on desktop, what happens is they often will take clicks away from blue links. And so what we're seeing in um, organic and paid actually is um, as we increase the volume of mobile searches around the world, um, the clicks to websites and the clicks on ads are both decreasing. Um, and I think it's because people are either finding what they need more quickly without having to click uh, through to a website because they get it from the knowledge graph or an answer or people also ask, um, or they're clicking on the filters to refine the search and do another search because that's what happens when you click a filter. Google doesn't just give you the new answer usually. People also ask, they do, but other filters, they resubmit a new search so they can show new ads and new knowledge graph and new rankings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, valuable. Love it, love it. Uh, I have the question about uh, menu Gumburger. You know, it's interesting that uh, it's like hidden element, but most websites use it because uh, it's hard to uh, add all these elements in mobile version. But uh, once I check out a study, that Google ignores hidden elements 100% times. Uh, but uh, Gumburger, it's like uh, even Google uh, tells that uh, it's okay if you use it uh, because uh, it helps user experience and people can understand that uh, you need to click to get uh, the whole menu. What do you think about Hamburger? Is it a good idea to use it or not? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Hamburger menus are great um, for mobile. Um, you just need to make sure that the JavaScript that's used to create the hamburger menu is crawlable um, and that it's pre-rendered um, so that you don't have to click it and go to the server to get the links. It needs the links need to be in the um, the uh, unrendered version of the page so that Google can crawl them on the first pass and the second pass. Um, and there are tools you can use to see rendered versus unrendered. All of your links um, and all of your text content ideally should be in both. Um, I've seen I've seen 
people make mistakes where they have crawlable links in their uh, JavaScript, but they don't populate the whole piece of the page um, in the pre-rendering of the, the page. They don't pre-render it. So even though they have Ahref crawlable links in that content, since they're using JavaScript to fetch it um, after in, in the second phase only, then it's still not crawlable, right? And so there's nuances to making JavaScript uh, crawlable and uh, pre-rendering, server-side rendering, those are the, the best ways to make sure hamburger navigation is easy for Google to crawl um, and, and they'll get it just fine. Um, the other thing to know about the hamburger menu that I think people struggle with is sometimes people and especially developers don't know when to stop. And so they're used to having so much real estate on the home on the, the desktop that they have menus with submenus with more submenus and flyouts and and they try and cram all of that into a hamburger menu. And there are ways to do that well, but there are a lot of ways to do that badly. So I uh, I would recommend, you know, be careful, try not to go more than one or, or two or levels deep. Um, and make sure that it's obvious how to get back to the shorter version of the menu and how to close the hamburger menu or swipe it away um, in every um, expansion. So look at it with everything expanded or just at the bottom, uh, because if you have to scroll way down to get to the bottom of the hamburger, people are probably gonna get confused and lost. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Uh... I see on your LinkedIn profile that you started the company Mobile Moxie in November 2008. If I remember correctly, in this year, iPhone appealed, uh, or probably 2007, so, so close. Can you tell how you uh, predicted this future, that it's it will be important to use uh, mobile optimization, to consider mobile version, because I remember even in... 2012, 2014, people uh, discuss about this topic. Do, do they need to do it or not? It's like, you know, in 2000, people ask, it's better to use Yellow Pages or Google, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> in, two, in 2012, people uh, still uh, discuss that, uh, why they need to optimize for mobile version. Uh, and today, nobody can discuss it because it's important. So can you tell how you... Uh, become early adopter in this technology now when uh, we got only the first version of iPhone in, in this time? <laughs> well, so it was, um, some of it was was luck and, and just curiosity. You know, I had uh, been working at an agency um, and when I switched to this one agency, I'd gotten a big raise. And so I used it to go out and get a new phone. And then they didn't have enough work for me to do at the agency. And so I noticed that all the, the SEOs um, that were speaking at conferences were also writing. So I decided to write an article, but I didn't want to rewrite the same thing that everyone was writing. Back then, yeah. everyone was just writing the same articles about title tags and meta descriptions over and over again. So I wanted to write something different. So I started doing tests on my phone, on my new phone um, to see um, what was ranking and try and figure out why. And my um, instinct was that 
it was more about mobile web than apps because apps, especially in the early days, were um, up, uh, specific to the operating system. So you had to write an app uh, for iOS. And before, before iPhones were a big thing, there were so many different mobile operating systems out there. Um, and so it didn't seem like it, it didn't seem like everyone was going to coalesce to either one operating system or another. It seemed like there were going to be, you know, many mobile operating systems for years to come. And so I focused on mobile web saying, okay, you know, how do we make it so people uh, and developers don't have to build everything twice, don't have to build everything at the time when I started, people were still talking about .mobi domains. Um, so I, I was like, oh, that seems bad to have a separate domain. That's bad for SEO. And then people started building on mobile subdomains, but that was very error prone and you would get um, developers who would migrate or move content on the mobile version of the site, but forget to do it on desktop or vice versa. And then they would break all the links and everything was just so fragile. Um, and so it just seemed really important for someone to come in and say, okay, build things that aren't going to break the minute you touch it, build things that are more durable and um, future proof, and uh, make them flexible to work on desktop and mobile without having to build twice. And so it's funny because I was actually, if anyone um, can think back, I was on a stage with Danny Sullivan, who now works at Google, um, talking about uh, using style sheets to make one page uh, work on mobile and desktop before we had a word for responsive design. I just said, oh, well, that's very, you know, sophisticated cascading style sheets. Um, and then, you know, then we had a word for it later. It was called responsive design. But, it, it, you know, even before the word existed, you could do it. You just had to um, think it all through. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Cindy, <laughs> uh, you mentioned about AI. I think, you know, that was simple to ignore, hard today, impossible tomorrow. And yeah, all occupations need to think how to adapt AI because, you know, it's not like replacement. I think uh, AI will replace people who don't adapt to AI today. Any occupation needs to do it. So can you tell how to adapt AI in mobile version because we know about generating text, about editing, translation, many, many things marketers can use AI today. What about mobile? How we can adapt AI for mobile optimization? It's a good question. I think that, um, you know, there's so much of a frenzy um, uh, right now to talk about AI and to anticipate where it's going and what it's going to do for us. And I think that um, from an SEO perspective, there's a lot of um, ways that you can use AI to improve your content, improve your understanding of your customers, um, improve your images, um, and in general, make, uh, make your site more engaging. I think that we're probably not far off from a lot of new AI tools that'll help us with usability, with load time, stuff like that. Um, either find problems or find problems and write code to fix them. That would be great. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of there's a lot of room for things to go wrong quickly and a lot of room for bad tools to be out there to give bad recommendations. 
Um, and so I want to, I want to be a part of the frenzy, or at least I want to, to watch and, and um, be amazed because the, the things that are happening with AI right now are quite impressive. Um, but I wonder, um, I wonder when are we going to hit the limitations? Because with every other technology that's been, uh, that showed up and was supposed to revolutionize things, um, mm -hmm. they have revolutionized things, but maybe not as quickly as we anticipated mm -hmm. or, um, you know, SEO is, has been predicted to be dead for, for so many times, for so many reasons. And I, I think that it's going to evolve and we're going to have to evolve and Google's going to have to evolve, especially um, to reward um, good content that's, you know, maybe human generated or human plus AI, but that's at least true, valid, not fake, um, stuff like that. Google has a big problem that they've got to deal with. And until uh, we see how Google deals with it, um, there will be SEOs trying to exploit it. Um, and so it's a race. It's uh, a race between SEOs trying to game Google and get all of their stuff ranking uh, with AI that's, you know, maybe it's high quality. I was going to say low quality, but maybe it's high quality AI generated content um, that, that looks great. And maybe that's okay with everyone. Um, and so Google has moral questions and legal questions and all of these things that they've got to figure out very quickly. Um, and until they do, if you're not trying to super exploit Google, we kind of need to watch and wait. Um, if, if what you want to do is really take advantage and exploit, then um, there are probably opportunities. But I think what we're going to see, my, my prediction here, is we're going to see Google um, trying harder to regulate potentially incorrect or inaccurate AI generated content by showing more of their AI generated content and their hosted uh, answers, knowledge graph, uh, shopping uh, options, anything that Google can validate on its own is going to have um, the advantage over random stuff that it finds on the web. And so that means being a part of Google My Business, being a part of Google Merchant Center, um, having that layer in between the web content and Google, where Google has a, another level of validation um, to make sure that it's real and it's not exploitative in any way. I think that Google's going to have to lean hard on that um, just to make sure they don't get in trouble by you know, the algorithm ranking things that, that are problematic. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think because AI only in the beginning of development and Google lost hundred billion dollars with one twin because, uh, Bart, uh, generated their own answer. So of course, of course, Google will develop this technology. Yeah. Go ahead. The really is there are so many people trying to talk about AI and I will I will say I'm not an expert on AI I've read probably most of the things that most of our industry has read but 
the problem that Google has had for a while with their algorithm is that even they don't know what's going to happen and what the machines are going to learn and if they're going to learn correctly. And so that's why, you know, for a while we had those results where Google was getting things wrong with the, you know, six legged horse and the four legged snake. Um, Google was using AI, but getting answers wrong and they didn't know that it was going to get it wrong. And they had to kind of stop that and fix it and figure it out. And the people who are, are building these AI technologies, they don't know how and when it's going to learn certain things or go off the rails and start getting things wrong or becoming very influenced by conspiracy theories or uh, racism or, or things that are generally not great for society. Um, but it's happened every single time. And so we know we have to be careful about it, but they don't know when it's going to happen. I was watching something the other day about a technology where they had taught this one AI only English, and they anticipated that it might learn another language in a couple of years um, of crawling the web, but it learned um, kind of a, a smallish language, not like a really large language, but something like... Um, I don't know, let's say Norwegian, um, within two months. And they expected the first language to be something like Chinese or Hindi, where a lot of people speak it. Um, and uh, they expected it to take years, but it wasn't true. So some of these things are happening um, at a much faster clip than even the people who are building it anticipate. Um, and so that makes us as like SEOs, we're just kind of at the mercy of what the AIs are allowed to do and um, what the people who are building them can even predict and control, um, which is all still TBD. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well explained. You know, Cindy, and you know, I think you know more about mobile than me, like 10 times or even 100 times a lot more. And I'm pretty sure that we, we will get the first smart glasses or Hamlet. I don't know. So you will be adapt faster than many many others <laughs> okay cindy i have the question about your experience uh, if you started today from scratch without any experience knowledge skills what will you do today to learn more about mobile optimization i would probably be taking um more development classes i would mm -hmm. be uh, learning javascript and app code Mm -hmm. And where are you uh, get it? I mean, like, uh, which resources do you prefer to consume? Oh, mm, I don't know. I, um, <laughs> maybe any of the free universities online, but then I learn mm -hmm. better with people in person. So for me, I would probably um, s sign up for a real class. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's the other thing that we're seeing with AI and with all of the mobile phones is that in some ways this... Um, the technology is evolving in ways that are harmful for humans um, and especially like mobile phones. And um, I think I might be learning some of the psychology tricks that the social networks are using to keep people engaged on their mobile phones so that we could do things to help people not just be addicted to um, their online technologies, but also actually live uh, 
good, connected, fulfilling lives, because I think that there's a there's a balance and we've we've gone too far in one direction um, where people are feeling less and less happy and less and less connected, but they get this fake connection on their phone. And I think that's a really interesting area of study that um, is going to be more and more necessary as things continue um, the way they are right now. Nice. Yeah, Cindy. It's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you. You always share a lot of valuable insights. You know, I need to go to an emergency room to spend time, you know, to consume all this information, <laughs> to think how I can optimize my mobile version, my clients, and uh, tell the best way how to connect with you, how to reach out to you, how to learn from you, how to follow you. <laughs> Definitely, uh, the best way to connect with me is on Twitter. Unfortunately, I'm I'm addicted to that social network, so that's where I am most of the time, at least uh, in the background. Um, so um, connect with me on Twitter. Um, my DMs are are open, so message me if you need anything. And then the other way to learn is um, Mobile Moxie, my company. We have a YouTube channel full of webinars and even like glossary of terms and explanations. Uh, and uh, that's a, a great resource if you have missed any of the talks that I've done in the past couple of years. I put um, basically every single one on that YouTube channel so you can catch up and, and see what other people are seeing. Okay, guys, you can find the links to uh, mobilemoxie.com in the description, uh, Twitter account, listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again Thank for your time. You. A big pleasure. Love it. So valuable, guys. You need to follow Cindy on Twitter because you can see a lot of value. Okay, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.